Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. Evening Time Sport, January 31. McColgan says, 1% advantage for trans women athletes, too much. Eilish McColgan says a 1% advantage for trans women athletes over female competitors would be too much. McColgan, one of Great Britain's leading female long-distance runners, spoke out with World Athletics considering its transgender policy and in consultation with member foundations over the matter. World Athletics confirmed earlier this month that its current preferred option would have the maximum level of plasma testosterone permitted for trans women compared to the current regulations and double the period of time to two years that athletes must remain below that threshold in order to compete. I'm not a scientist, so I have to trust that people like Seb Coe, the World Athletics President, and World Athletics are doing their due diligence and looking into this properly, said McColgan, the Commonwealth Games 10,000 metres champion. There's a lot more to being a woman than lowering your testosterone, and a lot more work to be done to finding out if there is an advantage. Even if there's a 1% advantage, then it's too much of an advantage. Rules are in place for other advantageous gains, so this should be one of them. McCaughan admitted she was reluctant to comment on delicate issues in the sport due to the abuse she has suffered online. And she continued, I have had constant abuse online and I already get trolled a huge amount. They are my reasons for not being so openly public and coming out on big topics that are discussed all the time. I am more than happy for transgender athletes to be included. They need to be included in some way, but the fairest way with regards to women being protected category of born women, that we have an open category and an XX genetically formed category or something along these lines. But the best person to speak to would be Caitlin Jenner, who won Olympic decathlete gold as Bruce Jenner before transitioning to a woman, who has lived experience of this and understands this. 
I have no lived experience of this or the changes you go through as a trans. I can't relate to that and never will. It's important we listen to people who understand it because it's definitely a very difficult topic to broach and I don't have the answers. Hopefully the people who do make these decisions are doing their job and following the right science. Evening Times Sport, January 31 McElroy and Reed Rift helps to produce a desert storm in Dubai, says Nick Roger. A couple of weeks ago, in this column's opening meander, I went to excruciatingly unnecessary lengths to tell you how useless I was at admin. With that in mind, you'll not be surprised to learn that I'm still faffing and footering about with my online self-assessment tax return as the deadline hurtles towards me at the terrifying rate of the mega meteor that obliterates the dinosaurs. For ages now, I've been getting email reminders from the good folk at HMRC saying, don't leave it to the last minute. Funnily enough, I also get emails from a weary sports editor saying something similar about filing the Tuesday column with a couple of colourful phrases added in to hammer home the point. Of course, as soon as someone urges you not to leave something to the last minute, what do you do? That's right, you leave it to the last blooming minute. So now I'll be spending the final day of January flapping around like a shrieking pierdoctyl that's bracing itself for an extinction level event. What was it the late, great Ken Dodd said again? I told the Inland Revenue I didn't owe them a penny because I live near the seaside. I'm quite near the Queen's Park duck pond. Does that count? Anyway, it can be tricky to focus the mind on a fiddy, flummoxing tax form when you're distracted by a Monday finish at a tour event of absorbing intrigue. Rory McElroy's slender victory over pantomime baddie Patrick Reed in the weather-delayed Hero Dubai Desert Classic yesterday got the world's number one's 2023 campaign off to a thrilling start. It was a fascinating conclusion to a lively few days at the Emirates Club. Unless you had your head buried in a self-assessment thingamajig, you're probably aware of the stushy that erupted in the build-up to the Dubai showpiece when McElroy and the LIV golf rebel greet. We'll briefly recap it just in case. On the driving range in Dubai, McElroy ignored Reed's attempt to say hello, which led to the American playfully flicking a tee in McElroy's direction. By the time social media got wind of affairs and added its own hysterical arms and legs to the matter, T-Gate, as it was swiftly christened, had exploded like a malfunction at a munitions depot. In the press conference that followed, we learned that Reed's lawyers had delivered a court summons to McElroy on Christmas Eve. McElroy, as candid as ever, 
didn't hide his disdain for Reed. While Reed himself branded the Northern Irishman an immature little child. With all this bubbling away, the prospect of McElroy and Reed being paired together during the event had giddy onlookers drooling like a mastiff gazing at a bucket of linked sausages. That grouping did not transpire, unfortunately, but the fact that Reed, playing in the penultimate match on the final day, hounded McElroy all the way with a gallant offensive, provided tremendous theatre. Hands up those of you were wanting a playoff. Come on, get your hands up. It would have been such a fiery shootout. The DP World Tour officials probably would have needed to set up a police cordon as the duel returned to the tee. Enmity, excitement, rivalry, rancour. This particular desert storm had it all, and you cannot say it wasn't enjoyable. Golf, or indeed any sport, thrives when big personalities and even bigger adversaries go head to head. The T-gate kerfuffle may have been fairly petty, school-paid nonsense, but my goodness, it certainly helped to elevate the Dubai Desert Classic into captivating, must-watch territory. This was a tale of two world-class golfers going at it hammer and tongs. For those taking a broader view of the game's current battlefield, it was also McElroy, the knight in shining armour of the established tours, striking a blow against the menace of the LIV golf renegades and delivering a Harvey Smith salute to the Saudi-backed upstarts. Imagine though if Reid had conquered. It would have been LIV's biggest moment since they coaxed Open champion Cameron Smith away from the PGA Tour. Greg Norman, LIV's combative chief executive, certainly would not have missed the opportunity to gloat and beat his chest with goading gusto had McElroy been vanquished. In the end though it was McElroy who revelled in the bragging rights and he was well aware of the wider significance of his victory. As for the fans of the game, well, the rip-roaring finale in Dubai, which was far more enthralling than anything LIV's manufactured shotgun format has served up, showed us once again what we are missing in golf's current age of division. As it stands, the fractured state of the men's game means the only time we'll see all the big guns in one place is during the four major championships. I'm sure most of you though would rather see the best going up against the best on a regular basis. You know, like back in those halcyon days of 2021. Until some form of ceasefire is agreed and the warring factions find some way to coexist, then we'll just have to muddle on. In the ongoing tensions and tumults, there's probably more chance of this correspondent getting his tax return in on time than there is of golf's rival forces reaching a truce, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, February 1. 
Cholak targets Rangers away improvement. Report by Chris Jack. Ibrox has become home sweet home in more ways than one for Antonio Cholak following his summer switch to Rangers. And the Croatian is determined to start hitting the target on the road as he prepares to lead the line for Michael Beale's side at Tynecastle. Cholak scored an impressive 14 goals during the first half of the campaign after moving from PAOK to join up with former boss Giovanni van Bronckhurst. His first strike away from Ibrox came in the memorable win over PSV Eindhoven and he bagged a brace as Rangers won 4-0 at Hearts in October. Rangers are unbeaten in 10 matches under Beale's guidance and Cholak is confident the goals will come away from the green green grass of home. Yes, I mean it reflects also the whole team, Cholak said when asked if he is aiming to improve his record on the road. We have now started to play better in the away games since the new manager came in. Of course, this will affect myself as well, and I hope I will score more goals away from home. It is always nice to score at Ibrox because it is home. There you know everything, where the goals are blindfolded. I will work on myself to have a much better record away from home. At the time, it was a big statement that win over Hearts, but if you look back to then until the red card, really a tough game. Everybody knows how hard it is to play there. They are also on a great run, with great players playing well, so we have to be aware. We have to go there and show who is the man on the pitch. It will be a tough game and we have to adapt to that. We just have to play how the manager wants us to play and get the three points. When I was there, it was my first time and of course I enjoyed it. The heated atmosphere is what you want to play through as a player. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, February 1 Savage claims Rangers cannot afford Shankland. Report by David Irvin Hearts Sporting Director Joe Savage insists Hearts would not have entertained any late bids for Laura Shankland before the transfer window slams shut. The stand-in Tynecastle captain has been in scintillating form this season, leading to speculation over possible bids for the striker in January. However, it did not materialise, with Robbie Nielsen thrilled to hold on to the striker who was not for sale, according to Savage. Rangers were a club heavily linked with a speculative move for Shankland, but there was nothing more to the reports than rumours, with no offers for the striker. Savage last night told BBC Sportsound that the club had received no offers for the striker and added they wouldn't be able to afford him when asked about Rangers' interest. The sporting director added, they wouldn't be able to afford him and I can tell you that right now, not a chance, no price, he's not for sale, Shanks is not going anywhere, Shanks is going to get 30 odd goals for us this season, 
and become an absolute hearts legend. That's the plan. Discussing whether there was any danger of Shanklin departing in January, Savage added, Not that we heard, to be brutally honest. No one has come to us with any sort of offer or interest to let us know that they would want to take him. We would have passed that message on, that they are wasting their time. Our aim now is to try and win the Scottish Cup and finish third, and you need people like Lawrence Shankland in the team to help you achieve that. We were never going to listen to any offers for Lawrence in January, I can assure you of that. Hearts were keen on a swoop for former star Callum Patterson on deadline day, but had to admit defeat with Sheffield Wednesday not sanctioning a late switch. Savage confirmed, We tried to get one more in. It's been well documented that we've had an interest in Callum Peterson, Patterson. We made another offer today to get him, and Sheffield Wednesday rejected it. They don't want to sell him, so you respect their decision and you move on. We've always preached that it's about quality rather than quantity. We tried to get Callum. It never went through, so we moved on. I was home for half past seven. We'll try, but let's not kid ourselves. Sheffield Wednesday are a massive club, and they're doing really, really well. If they win promotion to the championship and Callum helps them, because he'd been starting the last few games, then you never know, do you? Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport, February 1 Postecoglou aims put himself down pep talk to rival. Report by Ewan Payton Ange Postecoglou has moved to give Livingston boss David Martindale a pep talk, urging him to believe more in himself. The Celtic gaffer insists he is a huge admirer of the work the Lions number no. one has carried out at the Tony Macaroni Stadium over the past two years. The West Lothian side are flying high in the Premiership once again this season. They are currently in fourth spot and look on course to qualify for European football next term. Many supporters, pundits and others involved in the game cannot understand why another club has not come calling for Martindale's obvious managerial skills. The champions host Martindale's men tonight and Postecoglou has told the 48-year-old he has to talk himself up more often. He said that's because he continually puts himself down. He's the one who keeps saying, no one's going to come for me. But from my perspective, like every manager, you've got to look at the body of work they've done and you decide on that. He's done a great job at Livingston, whether he wants to move on or other people see that. The science of picking a manager is not that sophisticated, depending on which club is making the decision. The Australian admitted that he feels for every manager in Scotland's top flight. The Hoops gaffer recognises the difficulties that come with managing 
most clubs operating at this level. If anything, it only adds to the respect Postecoglou has for Martindale and the rest of his premiership rivals in the dugout. He continued, I have sympathy for every premiership manager. It's a tough role, irrespective of your background and irrespective of whether you've been in the job for a minute or you've been in the job for 30 years. It's a tough gig, especially today. So I have great respect and admiration for anybody in that role because I understand the daily pressures and the expectations that are put upon them. The one thing I feel we should all do as managers is let our work do the talking for us. And I think David has done that. I am fortunate here to have a great setup where I don't have to stress about too many of the details. Other managers don't have that luxury. It can be a stressful time because obviously the most important thing is still the games you've got ahead of you. You've got the same amount of time you would have in any other week, but now it's taken up by other things. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, February 1 Premier League clubs spent a record £815 million in the January transfer window to complete a season of unprecedented investment. The gross spend for 2023's window was 90% higher than the previous record of £430 million in 2018 and almost triple the previous January window of £295 million. The record for a full season had already been broken by a £1.92 billion summer outlay with that mark soon extended through £2 billion for the first time and to an eventual total of £2.8 billion, a new all-time high. Callum Ross, assistant director in Deloitte's sports business group, told the PA news agency, record transfer spend in January, surpassing the previous record of £430 million, in January 2018. In terms of a seasonal spend in 2022-23, Premier League clubs are now over £2.5 billion, which highlights the level of capability of spend that they've got in the market at the moment. Premier League clubs also set a record for net transfer expenditure during a January window with a net spend of £720 million, eclipsing the previous record set in January 2022, which was £180 million. Chelsea's £300 million plus outlay alone would rank behind only 2018 among Premier League winter transfer windows. As has been the trend in recent seasons, the English top flight far outpaced the rest of Europe, even the other members of the so-called Big Five leagues in Spain, Italy, France and Germany. Ross added, When you look at the January transfer window alone, 
Premier League clubs have spent three times more than the other big five leagues combined. And then when you look at seasonal spend, when you combine those other big five leagues together, the Premier League is spending more than all of those combined, which is just incredible. You have the spend of the Premier League on a net basis at £1.5 billion over the course of the season. And then when you look at the other big five leagues as a collective, they're actually in a net receipts position. So they're actually receiving more from the sale of players than what they're spending on players, which is quite stark compared to what you see in the Premier League. The Premier League was the only league of the big five that actually increased its media rights in the latest cycle. All the others either declined or stayed flat. There are obviously other things that come into that as well. When you look at new ownership at certain clubs and also on-pitch performance is a big factor, whether that's pushing for European competition or league titles, and then at the other end, just maintaining a place in the Premier League is obviously a key driver of what's going on across the market. Chelsea, under their new ownership group headed by Todd Bowley, continued to lead the way by signing World Cup winner Enzo Fernandes for a British record £106.8 million while forward Michaelo Mudrik joined from Shakhtar Donetsk in a deal reportedly worth up to £88.5 million. The Blues' £300 million plus outlay alone would rank behind only 2018 among Premier League winter transfer windows and is more than the combined spend of all other clubs in the big five leagues this month. Newcastle spent a reported £40 million initial fee to bring forward Anthony Gordon from struggling Everton, who were the only club not to make a January signing, while Liverpool spent £38 million on Netherlands international Cody Gakpo and Leeds broke their transfer record with a £35 million move for Hoffenheim's Jorginho Rutter. The previous record season saw £1.43 billion spent in the summer of 2017, with the January windows £430 million, making for a total of £1.86 billion. This campaign has blown that out of the water, and Ross sees no let-up in the near future when he said, one of the good indicators is to look at the transfer spend as a percentage of revenue and on the net transfer spend we're looking at about a quarter of the revenue being spent on transfers. That is a lot. It's higher than it's ever been. But I think managed appropriately with appropriate long-term business planning and financial control, I can see that continuing. Report from the PA Association. Evening Times Sport, January 26.
Asthma UK Scotland calls for better enforcement of pyrotechnics ban. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Joseph Carter, the head of Asthma and Lung UK Scotland, has called for the greater enforcement of the ban on pyrotechnics at sporting events following a spate of alarming incidents this season. Kick-off in the Edinburgh Derby match at Easter Road last Sunday was delayed because smoke bombs had been thrown onto the pitch by both Hibs and Hearts supporters. More smoke bombs were then set off by fans of the Tynecastle Club after Josh Ginelli had opened the scoring in the first half of the Scottish Cup fourth round game. Exposure to smoke can cause breathing difficulties in people who suffer from medical conditions like asthma, bronchitis and emphysema, and Carter is concerned about the worrying trend. It has been illegal to take a pyrotechnic device into a stadium since the Sporting Events Control of Alcohol Act was passed at Westminster in 1985. Carter wants to see clubs and the football authorities do far more to prevent their use before something serious happens at a match in this country. He said, smoke from flares and smoke cameras can stay in the air for quite a long time, creating areas of air pollution that can trigger asthma attacks or symptoms such as coughing, wheezing and breathlessness. With two in five people with asthma surveyed in Scotland saying that poor air quality, including smoke, can trigger their condition, we would like to see better enforcement of the ban of these items at sporting events. It is fortunate that no serious incidents have occurred for people with lung conditions such as asthma so far. The increased use of flares and smoke canisters at games only increases the risk of something serious happening in the future. David Hamilton of the Scottish Police Federation this week called on Scotland's clubs to do more to stop supporters using pyrotechnics inside football stadiums and warned they may have their stadium safety certificates taken away from them if they are unable to create a safe environment for spectators. And he said, what we really need is for the football clubs themselves to be much, much stricter on the use of pyrotechnics within grounds and search regimes to be much, much tighter. Sometimes they have not been as tight as they should be. I would also really like to see a clear and unambiguous statement from football clubs that pyrotechnics are absolutely unacceptable within grounds and that people found with them will get bans, if not life bans, if they are caught with them. We now have the legislation in place, which is helpful, but we need to see a renewed and invigorated response from the clubs. They have to make it clear there is no place for pyrotechnics in football. If the clubs are not going to take responsibility, then maybe we need to start looking at their ground safety certificates and asking if they are actually fit and proper organisations 
to be holding events like that. These certificates are there to ensure audiences can watch games in a safe environment. If you have got a proportion of your fans setting off flares and making it unsafe, and you're not pursuing them actively enough, then I would say there is a real question mark over the ability of clubs to be protecting people. That is a last-ditch resort. But our position is that everything should be on the table. What we need to see is clubs dealing very firmly with those who use pyrotechnics. There is a role here for clubs to play. People sometimes feel a bit cowed because it is big clubs, big money, and a lot of people are involved. But we need to get over that. People cannot be put at risk going to watch a game of football. They need to be able to do that safely. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport January 26 Duncan Ferguson set to be named Forest Green Rovers manager. Report by Ewan Payton Duncan Ferguson is set for his first permanent gig in management. The former Dundee United Rangers and Everton star looks set to be handed his first opportunity as number one. The Times report that the Scot will become Forest Green Rovers manager. The EFL side are currently bottom of League One. It would appear that the stiff challenge of keeping them in the division has not put the Everton legend off the job. He has previous experience as a caretaker manager, fulfilling that role at Goodison Park on more than one occasion. It is claimed that Ferguson's appointment is expected to be confirmed later today, and he will have several former Scottish-based players to pick from in his squad. They include Regan Hendry, Dylan McGough and Charlie McCann, who joined the club in the past few days from Rangers. Meanwhile, Philip Hillander has points to prove to his manager, his teammates and his supporters. The biggest questions are the ones he must ask himself as he seeks to find the answers to salvage his career. The defender has become something of a forgotten man at Ibrox, but Michael Beale needs no reminding how good Hillander can be on his day and what an asset he could be to Rangers. It would be easy to write Hillander off as a lost cause, to thank him for the memories and wish him well for the future. Beale will not consign him to the scrap heap just yet, however. Report from Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport January 26 Juranovic in dream start to post Celtic life. Report by Ewan Payton. Josip Juranovic made a debut to remember as life got off to a great start at Union Berlin. The Croatian defender completed his move to the Bundesliga side on Sunday as he departed Celtic. The Hoops pocketed £10 million for the right back, opting to cash in on the World Cup star. He was pitched in from the start as Union faced an away clash at Werther Bremen last night.
the 27-year-old side are going great guns in Germany's top flight. They only trail Bayern Munich at the halfway point in the season. Last night's victory solidified their position in second spot, and Juranovic played a key role in the 2-1 win. Union actually got off to a poor start. They fell behind after just 13 minutes as Amos Piper headed home from close range. However, the Bremen players went from hero to zero just four minutes later as he gifted Union a quickfire equaliser. His loose back pass to his goalkeeper was intercepted with Yannick Haberer on hand to fire home. After the break, Juranovic then played a major role in Union claiming all three points. The former Celtic star whipped in a lovely corner kick towards the back post. It was met by Kevin Behrens who headed home back across goal to give the Bremen keeper no chance. It was a big victory for the Croats' new team as they kept their title and Champions League qualification hopes alive. On a personal note for Juranovic, an assist in his first game would have been a huge bonus. They are just off three points from Bayern at the summit. Just four points separates Union in second and Wolfsburg down in seventh in a very tightly contested league. Union take on city rivals Hertha Berlin in their next game. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, January 26 The Pyro Debate 77-year-old disabled Kilmarnock fan calls for an end to pyro lunacy. Report by Matthew Lindsay In the 70 years that he had been going along to Rugby Park, to support his local team Kilmarnock, Peter Orr has experienced a wide range of emotions. He has celebrated as the Ayrshire Club have won cups, promotions and titles, and despaired as they have suffered heavy defeats and relegations in the decades since attending his first match way back in 1953. Yet the pensioner, who is confined to a wheelchair, had never before felt the alarm and concern that he did when the disabled section he was sitting in was bombarded by smoke bombs thrown by opposition supporters at a Singe Championship match last season. The 77-year-old, the chairman of the Kilmarnock Disabled Supporters Association, believes that it was a miracle that he and his fellow fans escaped serious injury or worse during the disturbing incident. Orr has issued an impassioned appeal to fans of all clubs across Scotland to stop using pyrotechnics at games, an illegal practice which is on the rise across the United Kingdom, and called for anyone caught doing so to be issued with lengthy banning orders. He said, because the new disabled platform for Kilmarnock supporters was getting built in the Moffat stand that day last season, we went and sat in the disabled section in the Chadwick stand where the away fans were. 
Not long after the game in question kicked off, fans of the team we were playing started throwing lit smoke bombs down from behind us. One actually came into the wheelchair area. More flares landed just in front of it. There were about four or five of them in total which came down. Inhaling the smoke itself was quite bad. It was terrible in fact. Some of our wheelchair members got very upset if there is anything out of the ordinary happening and they were certainly very upset that afternoon. Quite a high percentage of our disabled wheelchair supporters live in sheltered homes or require full-time care. Understandably, they were extremely anxious about it, especially when the smoke started coming into our section. But, as I say, one of the smoke bombs actually came into the dugout, which is what we call the sheltered area for wheelchair users. It was quite disturbing actually. It was a miracle nobody was hurt. Fortunately, the smoke bomb that landed in the disabled section just missed all of our members. But the wind that blew the smoke from two smoke bombs that landed just in front of us back into the shelter. I started shouting, cover your face, cover your face. Try not to inhale the smoke. We have some members who are bothered by chest conditions and you don't know how toxic the smoke from smoke bombs is. The smoke was terrible. We were in an enclosed area and there were about 10 wheelchairs in there at the time. Some of our members are quite physically disabled. If they had not had carers there to assist them, they would not have been able to cover their faces and something terrible could have happened. We have a young lassie who comes to games, who requires oxygen to breathe. Can you imagine what would have happened if the smoke bomb had landed on her? It doesn't bear thinking about. That would have been really, really serious. We were also lucky it was not a wooden platform, or there would have been a danger a fire could have been started. The disabled section had just been rebuilt because Rangers fans had jumped on it and caved it in at a match. The base and the surrounds are all made of metal and were non-flammable, which was fortunate. But our fans were still really upset about it. These things are designed to be used when there is nobody else near the person using them. But if they are landing in an enclosed area and you are in a wheelchair, then you don't have any time to get out. Fortunately, the stewards in the area were quite quick to come over and take them away. It could have been a lot worse. Orr and his fellow disabled supporters are now back watching Kilmarnock from the comfort of the new platform the Rugby Park Club has provided for them in the Moffat stand. And he has enjoyed seeing Derek McInnes's side play in the Singe Premiership once again this season in a safe environment. He acknowledges the difficulties which both the police and football clubs have in stopping fans from smuggling bangers, flares, smoke bombs, strobes, rockets and flashbangs into stadiums and setting them off during matches when thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of people are filing through the turnstiles.
but it is becoming an increasingly prevalent problem. Another disabled Kilmarnock fan was struck on the head by a smoke bomb in the final game of the season against Wraith Rovers at Starts Park in April. Or stressed that he would like to see offenders apprehended and punished by the authorities and a strong message sent out that pyrotechnics will not be tolerated in the Scottish game. And he added, I spoke to the Kilmarnock general manager about it after the match and asked him how fans are managing to get smoke bombs into a ground and if they are not searched before games. But I know that if they want to get them in, they will get them in. It is impossible to search everyone if you have a large crowd. I am not going to say that all of our fans are angels. It goes on at most games now. But I would appeal to anyone who is thinking of taking a pyrotechnic into a football ground and setting it off not to do so. I think anyone who does so should be automatically removed from the stadium and banned from going to matches. It is the only way we are going to stop it. We were lucky that day we were bombarded with smoke bombs. Somebody in the disabled section could have suffered a bad burn or far worse. We were very fortunate they didn't hit any of us and we escaped unscathed. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport February 3 Bill makes Scottish football call Report by Chris Jack Michael Beale insists Scottish football should do more to talk itself up and showcase the game to the wider world as he hit back at Neil McCann's criticism of striker Alfredo Morelos. The former Ibrox winger labelled Morelos an idiot after he celebrated the third goal in the win over Hearts on Wednesday night with his trademark knee slide in front of the home fans. Supporters widely condemned McCann in the aftermath of the Tynecastle triumph and the comments have created a storm on the back of what was an impressive performance and result from Beale's side. The Englishman believes that the spotlight is now being shone in the wrong direction after being made aware of McCann's harsh judgement during his commentary for BBC Radio Scotland. Beale said, Neil is my friend outside of this conversation. I think sometimes we can make a big deal out of something, but we have to celebrate goals. We have to understand that a lot is thrown the other way. The first two goals we scored, we do celebrate right in front of them because we're not going to run 150 yards to our own fans. I did not see the celebration at the time because immediately after it was given, we were talking about substitutions. When I heard about it this morning, I thought, bloody hell, can we not concentrate on the performance on the pitch? I don't think many people in the stadium took exception to it. So I think we should focus on football on the pitch. At this moment in time, Scottish football is really colourful. We have got players coming in from outside, whether that's from down south or from Asia, 
and one or two from around Europe. The league is in a really good place, so I think we should focus on the football. It was disappointing that game was not on TV on Wednesday night. You have two teams unbeaten over 10 games and something that had to give. There was optimism in the air in the Hearts team and maybe in general in football with people saying, OK, let's see where Rangers are at. And I thought it was always going to be a good game. The win over Robbie Nielsen's side was the most eye-catching showing that has been produced since Beale returned to Ibrox after leaving Queen's Park Rangers to succeed Giovanni van Bronckhorst as boss in December. Scottish football is often unfairly derided south of the border and Beale reckons those within our national game have a responsibility to be positive and talk up the product on and off the park. Said Beale, it's not so much in the media down there, it's not until you come up here that you realise it's a real goldfish bowl. That's why people talk about it. I was following Rangers because I spent a lot of time here, but you don't read a lot about it in the media, and I think the achievements of the team in Europe can be easily dismissed, and that's disappointing. That's why I say we have to promote our game, because nobody outside of our shores will do it. I think we've got good players in the league, players who have gone out of our league and done really well. Maybe we need to talk our game up a little bit. I always feel we are a bit glass half empty, rather than glass half full, when we talk about football. I think we can talk up our game much better than we do. Report by Chris Jack Evening Times Sport, February 3 Beal offers Rangers clarity on three players. Report by Aidan Smith Michael Beal has issued a clarity message amid the uncertainty surrounding key players Alfredo Morales, Ryan Kent and Malik Tillman. Morales and Kent are out of contract in the summer meaning they are currently free to speak to clubs regarding pre-contract agreements. Tillman is on loan at Ibrox from Bayern Munich, but a fee has been agreed to make the deal permanent come the end of the current campaign. Asked about the trio, Beale said, I have a bit more clarity than what I can give out. Obviously, it is a bit like the transfer window when you guys are saying I am contradicting myself. I can only say so much. At the moment, those three guys are playing fantastically well, along with fashion, and it is hard for the other attackers because they have been relentless in terms of goals, assists, and the chances they are making. I like all three of them a lot. I think they know that. Things are really calm at the moment, but what I would say, if the three of them were not there, then I think we are able to play without them at the moment. We have Todd Cantwell, Nicholas Raskin, Tom Lawrence, Kamar Roof, Antonio Cholak. We seem in quite a good place at the moment. On Morelis specifically, Beale said, 
He is just playing regularly and enjoying his football. We are creating a lot of chances. I think he could probably have a few more goals if I'm honest, and that has probably driven him. That's two away at Kilmarnock and then two away at Hearts in the last couple of difficult away games. I'm over the moon with Alfredo at the moment. He's no bother to me around the building. So far, so good. Antonio is waiting on the sidelines. He's not 100% fit, but it's difficult when a centre forward is in such good form. It's not really an area you would voluntarily rotate, so it's difficult for Tony. Earlier in the season, the reverse was true. Antonio was scoring a lot, so it is a good place to be in. Evening Times Sport February 3 Ukrainian refugees provided with tickets for Partick Thistle game Report by James Kearney 40 Ukrainian refugees based in Glasgow will be able to attend tomorrow's Partick Thistle match for free following a collaboration between the Singe Championship Club, a fans group and community organisations. The Jags Foundation, TJF, a supporters organisation that recently passed the 1,000 member mark, raises funds by asking fans to pay a monthly fee, which in turn allows TJF to support the club and social causes close to its heart. Tickets for Ukrainians living in temporary accommodation on the cruise ship MS Ambition, stationed in Brayhead, have been provided for Saturday's league meeting between the Jags and Cove Rangers, after TJF and the club were approached by a Kirk minister and supporter based in Glasgow's south side, Adam Dillon. Dillon's congregation at Sherbrooke Moss Park Parish Church run a support group for displaced Ukrainians, and the Thistle fan thought a trip to Fairhill might be just the tonic for a group of people who have suffered a great deal over the last year or so. As part of the arrangement, the children in the group will be granted free entry to the stadium on Saturday, and the club has some extra surprises in store for them. Two other local organisations, Cosgrove Care and Jewish Care Scotland, will provide transport to shuttle the refugees to and from Firhill. Dylan explained, Our Ukrainian partnership has brought a lot of joy, sharing stories and symbols of each other's cultural heritage. I stood behind the goal at Cove when Jamie Snedden, Thistle's goalkeeper, towered above the defence and scored. On Saturday, when I do my own team talk on the coach to Firhill, I'm going to be proud to share part of my own cultural heritage in following Thistle. It's a tough time right now for Ukrainians in Glasgow, and it's a great opportunity for Thistle to extend a hand of friendship to Ukraine. The arrangement to house refugees on the MS Ambition looks to be coming to an end in the not-so-distant future 
adding to the many challenges facing the displaced Ukrainians. TJF director Graeme Cowie believes that schemes like the one to bring fans along to Saturday's game show how football clubs can play a big part in their local communities and hopes that the Ukrainians will benefit from the 90-minute escapism provided by the beautiful game. Cowie explained, Football has real power to bring communities together. We all too often underestimate the sheer scale of disruption and the mental toll that conflict has placed on displaced families. It is our hope that by welcoming Glasgow's Ukrainian community to Firhill on Saturday, we can help to raise a few smiles, create and strengthen bonds of friendship in the Thistle community, and maybe even secure a few Ukrainian converts to the JAG's cause. We'd like to thank Adam Dillon for bringing this idea to us, as well as Patrick Thistle, Cosgrove Care and Jewish Care Scotland for all doing their bit to help make it happen. Report by James Kearney. Evening Times Sport, February 3. St Johnston announce open meeting with fans. Report by Aidan Smith. St Johnston have announced an open meeting with supporters will take place later this month after fans boycotted their recent Scottish Cup defeat to Rangers. Just 400 Saints fans watched on as their team was knocked out of the competition after a board decision meant visiting supporters were housed in three of McDermott Park's four stands. Prices for the match were set at £30 for adults and £20 for concessions, which further added to home support frustration. Now St Johnston are aiming to improve supporter engagement and will do so via the way of an open meeting with fans at the stadium. The official discussion will take place in the Centenary Suite at McDermott Park on Monday, February 13 at 7pm. A statement explained, The meeting is open to all fans of St Johnston FC. It is envisaged that it will be the first of regular events where club staff will be present, but these meetings will be primarily driven by a supporters steering group. No registration is required to attend the meeting, which will include a question and answer session with club staff and anyone with additional support needs who wishes to attend should contact Saints. Head of Operations Ian Flaherty said, It had been our intention to launch this sort of forum at the beginning of next season, but I believe, given recent events, the right thing to do is to bring the forum forward. We look forward to welcoming fans to McDermott Park a week on Monday. It is important that we improve communication with our fan base and provide better transparency to supporters. I believe that these meetings will prove very worthwhile as we strive to achieve this. The topics discussed from these meetings will be made available to all fans via the normal club channels shortly after each event. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, 
February 3. Calcutta Cup. Townsend expects England to come at Scotland. Report by Stuart Bathgate. Given the length of the injury list that was confronting him just a few weeks ago, Gregor Townsend would have been relieved to a certain extent when it came time to select his Scotland team for tomorrow's Calcutta Cup match at Twickenham. There are still a few clouds in the sky, but the overall picture is not nearly as overcast as it was. Of the four players who had hoped to complete their recoveries from injury, in time to be chosen to face England, two, Stuart Hogg and Duan van der Merve, have made it into the starting lineup. The other two, Xander Fagerson and Hamish Watson, are not in the 23 this week, but should be available for the home game against Wales in eight days. Ideally, all four would be fit and in the starting 15, but arguably the two most essential players are the ones who have passed fit. In WP Nell and Luke Crosby, Fagerson and Watson have very able deputies, whereas given Darcy Graham's continuing absence, the loss of Hogg and Van der Merve in addition would have left the back three looking particularly threadbare. And if the availability of that pair is one reason for the head coach to be optimistic. So too is the memory of his team's most recent outing. Momentum can vanish in a matter of minutes during a match, and a vast amount can alter over the course of several months. Nevertheless, Townsend believes that momentum of a sort can be carried over tomorrow from that last game, the comprehensive 52-29 to win over Argentina, which rounded off the Autumn Test Series. There have been some significant changes since then, of course. Graham, for example, scored a hat-trick then, and his close-quarters trickery is sure to be missed. But the coach appears to believe that the spirit of that November afternoon is still very much alive and can make itself felt tomorrow. He explained, 100% we want to keep the momentum going and we believe the best way of doing that is putting out a team that is in the best form. We do not obviously play straight after the Argentina game. There's two months of time where players are back at their clubs and a lot of things that can happen there, injuries being won, changes of form. So our aim is to put the best team out there. Clearly, in the last game, we were able to do more in attack. So yes, we definitely want to keep that momentum going. We believe this selection will help that. The ability to do more in attack is one reason the inform Hugh Jones is back in the team. Although it should be said that the Glasgow Centre's defence is a lot more solid than it used to be. Solidity and form are also the keys when it comes to the selection of Ben White at scrum half, ahead of both George Horn and Ali Price. While Scotland can turn to the recent past for inspiration, Steve Borthwick, Eddie Jones' successor as head coach, 
must simply hope for a fresh start. There is a belief in some quarters south of the border that the England squad will feel energised not by anything Borthwick says or does so much as by the simple fact that he is not Jones, whose last match at the helm was a defeat by South Africa. Liberated from the negativity which latterly surrounded the Australian, so the argument goes, the home team will come out, all guns blazing. Townsend is certainly braced for an onslaught, but if it comes he will not ascribe it to the advent of Borthwick. He said, We'd expect England to come very hard and fast at us if they had the same coach, a new coach, or didn't have a coach at all. You're playing the first game of the Six Nations at home. They're going to come at us and look to play their best rugby. In terms of the style of rugby they play, we believe it will be similar to how Leicester, where Borthwick was head coach in his last post, have played over the last two years. The coach is unlikely to go away from his philosophy he's deployed at club level. We expect there's going to be much more kicking from the England team and a certain type of defending. If it's different, then we've got to adapt to it. That's the challenge of playing any opposition. Whatever is working for them, we've got to stop it. There is a school of thought that says it is preferable for Scotland to avoid their oldest and biggest adversaries until later in the Championship, particularly if the match in question is at Twickenham rather than Murrayfield. But buoyed by recent results in the fixture, Townsend suggested that having such a demanding fixture first up could be the ideal way for his team to get up to speed very quickly and then stay at the level in the ensuing four games. And he continued, It's the best challenge to focus your mind. We've had England in the first game for the past couple of seasons. It's one that we know means more than just a one-off fixture, and also one that we know will be hugely challenging. We have to be close to our best for the full 80 minutes. That does focus the mind. Report by Stuart Bathgate. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 4th of February 2023. From the sports section, John McLaughlin's shaky ranger showing defended by Michael Beale. By Johnny McFarlane. Michael Beale refused to criticise John McLaughlin despite the keeper's shaky showing against Ross County. The veteran, deputising for the rested Alan McGregor, Twice flapped at crosses during the 2-1 win at Ibrox, missing the ball completely on both occasions. Jordan White was able to score after the first mistake, bringing the visitors level and provoking near silence from the crowd. Borna Barisic's deflected free kick would see Rangers collect all three points in the end, and, while Beale wasn't happy with the concession, he stressed there was more than his keeper at fault. He said, I thought we were slow coming out to a short corner. We were winning the game 1-0 at home, and we were comfortable in the game. John didn't have much to do. Then we switched off, they delivered it, and where are the centre-halves and where's John? It's a collective thing. This week we've had two games and a late night in midweek. I just felt John was a fresher goalie, coming into today, 
He didn't have much to do and I'll continue to rotate them. I'm trying to get us through a tough schedule. That's why I'm rotating. I'm assessing the keepers with a view to what I'll do in the summer. Robbie McCurry's injury hasn't healed and he's still three or four weeks away which is disappointing. It's hard for him to show me what he can do. John's always there. We all know Alan isn't getting any younger and he's our number one right now. But if I feel he needs a rest, John is always able. Have we lost any games with him? He's not the issue. We conceded a lousy goal off a set play, but we all need a shake for that. New Belgian signing Nicholas Raskin was thrown in for his debut with 9 minutes remaining and made an instant impression. The youngster looked bursting with confidence and threw himself into the game with gusto doing an impressive cameo. And, Beale admits, he was impressed with what he saw. Beale said, It was an interesting time to throw a ball in for his debut, but I trust him. He was very good. He only met his teammates on Friday and worked with him for 25 minutes. To go out there was a big call on my behalf, but I want to get him started. And that report was by Johnny McFarlane. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 4th of February 2013, from the sports section, football, Rangers 2, Ross County 1, Michael Beale's side survive Ibrox scare, by Christopher Jack, Rangers survives an Ibrox scare to overcome Ross County and maintain their unbeaten run under the guidance of boss Michael Beale. Malik Tillman headed the host in front late in the first half, but County had a shock result in their sights as Jordan White scored for the fifth time in seven fixtures against his boyhood, boyhood heroes. A deflected free kick from Borna Barisic ensured it was in vain, however, as Rangers registered a rear to Celtic to six points ahead of their trip to St Johnson on Sunday. There would have been few who predicted that Rangers would be so effervescent against Hearts on Wednesday night. It looked like an evening where Beale's side would have to grind out the win, but turned into one to save her as a 3-0 victory was recorded with some style. The bar was raised against the Jambos, but the standard wasn't maintained here. This was a largely lacklustre affair, and there will be plenty for Beale to pick out of it now that he's a clean week in terms of training ahead of the Scottish Cup fixture with Partick Thistle on Sunday. The failure to convert promising situations and clear chances will undoubtedly frustrate Beale once again. The win was deserved, but it should have been more comfortable as Rangers had to respond in adversity after County equalised in the second half and then hold on in the closing stages. Rangers are naturally still a work in progress as Todd Cantwell and Nicholas Raskin settle into the squad and the likes of Antonio Kolak and Yanis Hadji get back up to the speed following their respective injury issues. This was a reminder of how far Beale's side have got to go this term. This should have been an occasion where the Ibox crowd got the performance that they'd been waiting to witness for quite some time. In the end, it turned into another one where they could be pleased with the result, but not with the manner in which it was achieved, and it certainly won't live long in the memory. It was no surprise that Beale opted to make changes from the side that were so comfortable at Tynecastle in midweek. The selection of Cantwell, for example, was an obvious call to make, following his impressive debut against St Johnston last week, and a cameo off the bench in the capital. Few supporters would have guessed that Tillman would be rested, however. Given the form that the midfielder is in, and the likely pattern of this 90 minutes, Tillman seemed like an obvious call to slot into the middle park and give Rangers some added attacking threat from the central area. Beale opted to stick with two more defensive-minded operators in there, 
as Cantwell was joined by the returning Ryan Jack and John Lundstrom. Glenn Kamana dropped to the bench as he took a seat alongside new arrival Nicholas Raskin. It gave Rangers the now familiar 2-2-2 setup from middle to front, but the plan had been altered after just 11 minutes. Lundstrom received treatment before being replaced by Tillman as the team in the park looked more likely the one that would have been selected pre-match. A switch to a diamond in midfield as Tillman and Catwell operated ahead of Jack and behind Ryan Kent was intended to give Rangers more creativity. With seconds remaining of the first half, the breakthrough came. After a largely frustrating first 45 minutes, albeit a dominant one in terms of possession, it was a reward for their perseverance as well as their quality. The signings of Cantwell and Raskin in recent weeks have added a new dimension to Rangers midfield and addressed the issues that Beale identified in his first days back at Ibrox. Another fault has been fixed thanks to the rise and rise of Tillman. There were times earlier in the campaign when supporters questioned his work rate and his mentality. Criticisms were valid at times, but they overlooked the fact that the American was an emerging talent with relatively few first-team appearances to his credit. Rangers are are now seeing just what Tillman is capable of. Just months into his Ibrox career, there is already a feeling that they should enjoy him while they can because he is not a player that's going to be here for several years. The agreement with Bayern Munich that gives Rangers first refusal on a deal in the summer looks like a shrewd bit of business. Beale is keen to see that the call is activated and feels like barely a fixture goes by right now where the clamour to sign Tillman doesn't increase in the stands. The £5 million outlay that will be required to sign the 20-year-old on a permanent basis will represent a significant percentage of what Beale will spend ahead of his first first term in charge. Rather than consider whether or not they can afford it or not, Rangers are now in a situation where they cannot afford not to do the deal to bring Tillman to Ibrox on a long-term deal. His eighth goal of the campaign came just seconds before the break. Morelos and Cantwell combined and a dinked cross was followed by a header from close range as Tillman provided a much-needed intervention at just the right time for Rangers. Their pursuit of Raskin turned into a lengthy affair as supporters were left to wait until the closing hours of the window to finally see the Belgian arrive at Ibrox. The move was completed on deadline day, but it took until Friday for the work permit paperwork to be signed off as Raskin was finally able to get down to business with Beale's side. The midfielder spoke well at his unveiling press conference in the newly revamped Blue Sky Lounge, and fans were understandably excited to see him in action. Beale had urged caution as he pointed out that Raskin was here for the long run rather than the short term, but there was never any doubt he would get a place in the squad for his first afternoon at Ibrox. After 27 minutes, he emerged from the dugout and received a warm welcome from the support. The applause was reciprocated as Raskin went through his routine down the touchline. He had to wait until just 8 minutes from time to finally get on the park. The reception was again rapturous. There was little time for Raskin to show too much, but the Jags class at the end of the first full week of training will offer the chance that he's been waiting for. Beale spoke warmly about the job that Malcolm Mackay has done in Dingwall, and the way in which County play at his press conference earlier in the week. Unlike some opposition teams that come to Ibrox with a damage limitation mindset, Beale was sure the Stackies would set up to win. That was evident as Mackay paired White and Eamon Brophy in attack. When he, first, when he made his first switch at the break, it was to introduce new arrival Simon Murray, as County attempted to hold themselves back into an encounter that they'd held their own in. It was the host at the first chance of the afternoon, as he capitalised on a slack run pass, 
and saw efforts from George Harmon and Brophy blocked. And Alex Ayakoviki ahead her later in the half was another chance that County should have done better from. John McLaughlin had to make a smart save to deny Nohan Kenny as, after the hour mark, Rangers toiled and County sensed an opportunity as Ibrox started to moan and groan. Seconds later, they had their goal as White rose well and nodded a Jan Danda cross beyond a Flaley McLaughlin. And that report was by Christopher Jack. From the Glasgow Times, Sunday the 5th of February 2023, from the sports section, St Johnson 1, Celtic 4, instant reaction to the burning issues, report by Matthew Lindsay. With no cinch premiership matches being played next weekend due to the fifth round of the Scottish Cup, Celtic were keen to avoid a slip-up against St Johnston in Perth today and restore their nine-point advantage over Rangers. They duly did both, and possibly Coglu's team cruised a comfortable 4-1 win over Callum Davidson's side at McDermott Park that extended their unbeaten domestic run to 21 and edged them a little closer to another Scottish title. An Andrew Constantine on goal and Kyogo Furuhashi and Aaron Moyes strikes in the first half effectively wrapped up another three points for the visitors by half-time. Drew Wright pulled one back for the host with a stunning long-range effort, but substitute David Turnbull netted an injury time to round off a satisfying afternoon for the leaders. Here are five talking points from the Premiership encounter. Mui Machine Celtic fans have been heartened to learn the Parkhead Club are, st- are in talks with Joe Hart, Mui and Turnbull about extensions to their current deals. All three men have been excellent for the Scottish champions this season. Mui in particular is enjoying a rich vein of form. That continued in Perth today. The Australian internationalist was involved in the build-up to the opening two goals and then scored the third himself. His strike was exquisite. He controlled a chip from Jota before dinking over the head of St Johnson goalkeeper Remy Matthews. The 32-year-old midfielder failed to net once in his first 23 appearances after joining the Glasgow side on a free transfer in the summer. He has now been on target six times in nine outings. Three of those came from the penalty spot. Still, his vastly improved strike rate underlines just how influential he has become. Mui barely put a foot wrong all afternoon. He is comfortable in possession, distributes the ball intelligently, and is a physical presence in the middle of the park. The 57 times cap footballer is under contract until 2025. But if Celtic can persuade him to commit his future to them beyond that, it will increase their chances of long-term success. Relentless Furuhashi There are few players with a chance of finishing the season as the Premiership's top scorer. Bojan Miofsky of Aberdeen took his tally to 14 in a 3-1 triumph for Motherwell at Pataudry yesterday. Warren Shanklin moved onto the 17 mark as Hearts defeated Dundee United by the same scoreline at Tynecastle. However, it will be a major surprise if anyone plunders more than Furuhashi this term. The Japanese internationalist has got 19 goals to his name in the league so far, and 22 overall. He has now found the net on 11 occasions in his last 11 outings. There is currently no better finisher in the top flight than his £4.6 million signing. Oh Hyung Gyu came on for Furuhashi in the second half. The South Korean won a free kick for Celtic in a dangerous area, just outside the St Johnson penalty box and earned the hapless Constantine a red card from referee David Dickinson. His fellow replacement Turnbull duly took advantage of the set-piece to add to the finishing touch to a one-sided triumph. Defence breached. 
Davidson switched from a back three to a back four and brought in Tolly Gallagher at left back in the absence of Celtic Loney, Adam Montgomery. It was only the former Liverpool kid's second start and fourth appearance of the season. His lack of game time showed when Daisy Maeda burst forward, cut inside him and supplied Moy before the opening goal. He was unable to prevent Jota from picking out Furuhashi before the second as well. It was a tough cast coming back in after a month out and having to shackle two of the best wide men in the country. But Gallagher and his teammates, despite Nicky Clark not being involved, certainly asked questions of their rivals in the final third. Ray Dindy's Celtics run of six games without conceding a goal when he beat Hart from fully 25 yards out in the first half. Not keeping a clean sheet was the only negative for the league leaders. Could Hart have got a hand to the St Johnson's midfielder's dipping attempt and his view was bought by Stevie May? But could the goalkeeper have done better? He will be disappointed to be beaten in such a manner and eager to atone for his lapse in concentration in a cup game against St Mirren on Saturday. Pitch battle. Davidson admitted before kick-off that the McDermott Park playing surface is not the easiest to play on and his opposite number, Postle Cluggle, confessed it is something we will have to adjust to. The park cut up badly from kick-off and made it difficult for both sides to get the ball down and play. Both Celtic and St Johnston deserve credit for the entertaining passages of play they produced during the course of the 90 minutes. But players need good conditions underfoot to entertain supporters and... At the moment, they are fighting a pitch battle every time they take to the field. Relegation threat. This loss leaves St Johnson just seven points ahead of Dundee United to Motherwell at the bottom of the Premiership, with 13 games remaining. They played well in spells this afternoon and put the Celtic defence under pressure on several occasions, but they need to start recording victories to avoid being sucked into a relegation dogfight. Their next match is against United at Tannadice in 13 days' time. Beating their local rivals would go a long way towards securing their top flight safety. They are performing far better than a few of the teams around them, but they have work to do. And that article was by Matthew Lindsay. Evening Times Sport, February 6. Celtic defender aiming to become USA mainstay. Report by Ewan Payton. The American Drill. The ideal that every person of the United States should have an equal opportunity to achieve success and prosperity through hard work and determination. Cameron Carter Vickers has set his sights on more joy with his country in the near future. The Celtic centre-back appeared at the World Cup for USA. The 25-year-old was applauded for his performances but he wasn't a first pick in the starting lineup. That's his ultimate aim, to become a regular starter for his national side. Hungry for more international recognition, he said, it was a great experience. Being at the world's biggest tournament was great for me personally. I got to play one game, which I enjoyed, and I learned things from it. Overall, it was a good experience. There is a real tight bond between the coaches and players within the group. When you're in tournaments like that, you're away for four or five weeks as a group and you have to get on with people, otherwise it can be a horrible time. The USA group definitely has that. We get on well and socially it's good. Americans are generally quite patriotic 
and you definitely saw that with some of the performances at the World Cup. Carter Vickers and his United States teammates were addressed by President Joe Biden prior to their outings in Qatar. It was not a surprise to hear from the leader of their country, but there was little advance notice for such a big honour. He added, we knew, we didn't really know for a long time in advance, to be fair, but when we went into the meeting room, we knew he was going to be on the call. Any time you see people, especially people like that, supporting you, it definitely gives you a boost. They're slightly different, Biden and Postecoglou. I'd say Angie's probably have a bit more tactical knowledge of football, but they're obviously two motivational people whom you can take stuff from. The powerful defender appeared on a Ted Lasso-inspired poster in his father's hometown of Baton Rouge in the States. Understandably, it was a bit of a pinch-me moment for him and his family, and he elaborated, That's where my dad is from. He still lives there. Anything that can build support for the team, it can only be positive. And some of them were quite funny. I'm not sure if dad went to look at the billboard himself, but he said he had friends and family who sent him pictures, but Baton Rouge is quite a big place. I go out to see him or sometimes he'll come over here, but growing up I went out there quite a lot. I have good memories from those days going there when I was younger, spending time with family. The whole of my dad's side of the family is over there, cousins, aunties, uncles, stuff like that. They really got into the World Cup. I talked to my dad regularly anyway, but he and the rest of the family were watching the games together. Evening Times Sport, February 6. Former Rangers and Dundee United goalkeeper Billy Thompson dies aged 64. Report by Ewan Payton. Former Scotland goalkeeper Billy Thompson has sadly passed away. It was announced this morning that he has died aged 64. Thompson was a very well-known figure in Scottish football. During his playing days, he featured for Partick Thistle, St Mirren, Dundee United, Motherwell, Rangers and Dundee. Thompson would be inducted into the Dundee United Hall of Fame after well over 230 appearances for the Tannerise Club. He started between the sticks for the Tangerines in the 1987 UEFA Cup Final, as well as two Scottish Cup Finals during some of the best years of the club's history. A Dundee United statement reads, We are saddened to learn of the passing of former player and Hall of Fame inductee Billy Thompson at the age of 64. Joining in 1984, Billy faced the unenviable task of taking over the gloves from Hamish McAlpine. A first-team regular until 1991, the goalkeeper made over 200 appearances for United, including being part of the squad that went all the way to the UEFA Cup final in 87. Everyone at Dundee United would like to extend their condolences to Billy's family and friends. The goalkeeper earned seven full caps for Scotland. 
he gained coaching experience at two of his former clubs in the shape of Dundee and Rangers. Thompson was also very well regarded at Kilmarnock, where he coached between 2007 and 2021. He was clearly a popular figure among players at Rugby Park over the 14-year period, with fans also fond of him. He left after the club's relegation and then joined up with Jamie Hamill at Stranraer, becoming their goalkeeping coach that June. After working as Steve Clark's keeper guru at Kilmarnock, the former Chelsea defender then drafted Thompson into the national team backroom staff for a brief spell in 2019. Report by Ewan Payton. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Q and Review and to tell your friends about our service.